0: So money doesn't make a person happy. It never. Money doesn't do anything. All it is is it's an amplifier. It amplifies everything. So it amplifies our, our inability to communicate now into my relationship and couples will argue more over it. It will amplify your physical insecurities. It will amplify the bad habits that you have. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty.
1: Hello, and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're well. I'm doing fine. I'm enjoying a summer holiday at the moment. It's the Christmas break. Not much is happening in the property industry, so I'm at the beach. Given the time of year, I thought it might be useful to put out an episode about planning, So I've called in a mate of mine who helps high achievers get even more out of life. We'll get to that in a moment. Just to update you on my projects, in the last episode I mentioned that the time was up for people to lodge an appeal with the Planning Tribunal following Council's decision to issue us a notice of decision. Well, in case you're wondering what happened, drumroll please, there were no objections. Hooray! So we've been issued with our planning permit for 14 townhouses, which is quite a relief and a nice way to end the year. It provides the project with some degree of certainty and we can move to the next phase, which is selling and marketing, which given the current softening of market conditions will be a bit of a challenge, but I'm looking forward to it. So this wraps up a two-year battle to get a permit, which has been quite illuminating and certainly educational. Anyway, onwards and upwards now. On the second project front, we are inching forward with fine-tuning the plans and are pretty close to having everything wrapped up and ready for the town planner to draft his report. And don't forget, if you're interested in learning how to develop, email me, justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com, if you want to find out more about the property mentoring program that's available to help you get started in property development. Okay, on with the show. I'm speaking with my friend, Michael Johnson a.k.a. the Mojo Master, about how you can get the most out of your life. If you're like me, you spend some time at the start of the year reflecting and thinking about what you would like to achieve in the year ahead. Not that it really matters what time of year you do it, as any time of year is just as good as any other to plan, ponder and reflect. Anyway, Mojo and me talked about how you can sit down and plan your life so that you can lead the life of your dreams. Mojo goes through the steps he takes with his clients to help them map out a path to success. We talk about the power of purpose, how values help define your success, what a mission statement is, and finally, how you can set realistic goals that will help you achieve greatness. Just a word of warning, Mojo throws out some colourful language during this discussion, so if you need to pop the earphones in, then do it now. Otherwise, enjoy this conversation about how you can plan to succeed in the coming year. As usual, I started off by asking Mojo what food he would eat until he was sick.
0: Oh, pizza, definitely. That's, that's an easy one. That's a no-brainer.
1: <laughs> that's my one as well, actually, and I did it a couple of nights ago. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah. Oh, can't help myself. I've been trying to figure out what it is about the pizza that uh, I love, and I'm I think it's just the mixture of the salty toppings and the crunchy base. It just all works for me.
0: Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I also found out as well that I remember being a kid and um, like other kids going out and having takeaway and things like that and my mum would never really let us have takeaway and uh, I remember one night it was like a birthday or something and I was rewarded with pizza and I still remember back to that time that it's like a reward mechanism of doing something well
1: So, and is there a particular type of pizza or toppings that you go for?
0: Just one that's smashed with toppings. the 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 more you pick it up, and the more the (laughs) topping just slides off the top, and you can't even keep it all together.
1: Better. (laughs) Oh, you're a man after my own heart. (laughs) Yeah. Although I have scaled it back a bit as I got a bit older, just go for a few choice toppings. But it is always tempting for the mega supreme or something along those lines.
0: Yep, i do exactly the same and then add extras (laughs) until until Uber Eats won't let me add any more extras on it.
1: Uh, I actually used to work at a pizza shop when I was at university delivering pizzas and at the end of the shift, you used to be allowed to make your own pizza (laughs) and I used to make some monsters when I finished my shift.
0: (laughs) I'd be about 300 kilos, I reckon. I reckon I'd almost make a hamburger out of the bases and then just fill it with the toppings.
1: All right. Well, it's good to have you on the show, and we're here today to talk about goal setting and planning. And you, uh, why don't you tell us about your background, who you are, and um, and how you work with people?
0: Okay, cool. So, I mean, really, my background is uh, probably like everyone's. You know, we will go through challenges and things like that as as kids. But uh, I guess mine was mine was a very fascinating all weird way of growing up. Um, I guess my mum had me at 17 years of age in a Catholic family and my dad is a Bogan atheist Aussie. Um, so that, that went really, really well. And uh, um, it was really, really great growing up um, with having really young parents at 17 and 19 because they used to party and run amok and, you know, have some fun and they never sort of held back because they had kids and um, I have a younger sister as well who's about 18 months younger. So they used to take us to all the parties and everything that they used to go to. Um, But from a really young age, I used to watch how adults used to interact, especially under the influence of alcohol, uh, which was very, very common. Um, And, you know, I wouldn't change that either because it, it actually taught me a lot about life and the way that people interact. And I was just always fascinated by it. And then I guess I started school and I wasn't the best at school. I was put into special classes and told that I had learning difficulties and dyslexia and all of those sort of things. And um, I never really fit in with the other kids as well, because on the weekends, my parents would go away up into the Riverland and party with all their friends. So you know why the kids were at school kicking around soccer balls and fitting in into these little clicky groups. I was riding motorbikes and shooting guns and doing crazy stuff, um, which was really, really cool, but it doesn't help you fit into school when you go back and everyone's talking about football and soccer and netball. So I was sort of, I was friendly with everybody, but I didn't really fit in. And so it brought up a lot of questions for me, you know, why are the popular kids the popular kids? How do we interact and behave with each other? You know, why is it that I don't fit in? And, and it, 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 there were just a lot of questions. And um, having parents who were like that as well it gave me a lot of time to think, um, especially because we were right on the river on the riverfront. I used to just go and sit down by myself from like age four or five years of age and I'd just fish for hours and hours and just ask those questions and try and figure everything out. Um, and I did that all up until my late teens. Then, um, I, I, from uh, up in the Riverland, I had a couple of really close friends uh, who were sort of in a similar situation. They had young parents and stuff as well. We used to party and run a market. Um, we became really, really close friends. And I ended up getting expelled from school at 15 and thought, what's the point of life? I'm in trouble at home all the time. I'm in trouble at school all the time. And it really made me uh, question whether life was worth living or whether there was something that I had to change within my own life. and I got to the point of almost ending my life uh, one night and I just realized there was sort of a little voice in my head that just said, you know what, Um, do you mind if I swear on your podcast or do we have to bleep that out?
1: No, that's all right. Go, you speak naturally and I'll see how we go. (laughs) Um,
0: I just got to a point one night where I just said, fuck it, I can't make anyone else happy. And um, that was sort of like a bit of a turning point in my life where I realized that I'm not on this earth to make other people happy and, and, and I'm not here to fit into the other boxes that try to please everybody else. And up at that time, I think I tried to make especially my mum happy by going to school and getting good grades and a good education um, because I think that was the thing that she missed out on um, by having me at such a young age she had to drop out of school. Um, And then anyway, I ended up going back to school and thought that I wanted to become a diesel mechanic because I'm very inquisitive and I love figuring out how things work. And I knew that I wasn't going to go to university because I wasn't smart enough or intelligent enough, um, I guess you could say, in, in the schooling system. So I ended up leaving school uh, at 18, so I I graduated and um, I started working as a diesel mechanic for Caterpillar or CavPow here in South Australia, so the big Caterpillar dealer. And when I was there, I thought, I've finally made it. You know, now I get to go up to the mines, I'm going to make a ton of cash because it was the start of the mining boom and there's going to be all this money everywhere. I'm going to have cars and houses and I'm going to get married and have kids and do, you know, the thing that I taught was what we needed to do in order to live this fulfilling successful life. And what I found was quite different. You know, once I got in there, there were these guys who'd come to work every day who'd complain about how shit everything was. They always seemed to be broke no matter how much money they made. Yet they had the jet skis, the motorbikes, the cars, the houses. Um, Or some of them didn't. Some of them used to waste a lot of money on gambling and alcohol and drugs and so on. And I just thought, is this really what I want to do? And I started questioning it. And the thing that really made me happy at the time was going to the gym and exercising because uh, I had a lot of, I guess, body image issues when I was a kid. I had bright red hair and freckles and white pasty skin. So I was sort of like the the walking uh, target for, for people to pick on, um, which also gave me a lot of resilience as well and a lot of strength, which has helped me out quite a lot now, especially being a business owner and doing what I do. But uh, around that time, I was just really questioning what I really wanted to do with my life. And um, I started... Uh, thinking about becoming a personal trainer at the time because I really loved the gym. And when I when I started studying as a personal trainer, I just, cr- I craved knowledge. So I, d- I would read every night. I was about three to six months ahead of the curriculum. So they'd give us, they'd give us all the big manuals and the books. And I'd sit there and read them over a whole weekend and then start studying more stuff because I had questions. And I started acing all the tests and um, I really loved it, and, and that sort of broke the mold of thinking that I had this learning difficulty. It's just at school I was bored shitless and didn't really enjoy what I was learning. But then one day I got a phone call, and uh, this was the phone call that changed my life. And it was that the best mate, the reason why I didn't kill myself when I was 15, he was in a car accident in the hospital. And when I got to the hospital, he'd informed me that his three year old niece that we used to look after um, was killed in that car accident. He was in a passenger seat. And it really maybe reassess everything about life. And I think tragedy has a funny way of making us question what we're really here to do and who we are. And it really shows us that, I guess, this life that we're living now in this physical form or in the body that we have isn't here for a very long time in the scheme of things. It's actually very short. And, um, I remember being at the funeral and just watching this little white coffin going into the ground, going, how, how the fuck can life just be taken away just like that? Like we're here one second and then bang, we're gone. And, For a lot of people, they don't even have that choice of when that's going to happen. It's just, it's done. And um, questions just popped into my head and it was, what's the purpose of my life? Why do I exist? Why am I here? And how am I going to be remembered when I'm not here? And I think they were the questions that really changed everything that I was doing. And I found it really fascinating that school doesn't ask those questions, but they're the questions that we really have from probably a really young age. We just never think about it. And so because of that, um, that really made me think about what I was doing each and every day. And I'd go into work and I'd see these guys who were making all this money and were miserable. And I thought, I don't want to be here anymore. So I got signed off my apprenticeship a year early. And the day I got signed off, I walked into the boss's office and I said, I can't do this. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm out of here. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know, but it's not this. <laughs> and, and he looked at me and he said, Michael, and this is the head of him. Uh, at the time I'd left Cab Power and I was working for another company. And he was a multi-millionaire head of a major trucking company. And he said, Michael, don't end up like the rest of these fuckers. Go and do what you love. And so I put the toolbox in the car, drove to my mum and dad's house, unpacked the toolbox. My mum burst into tears. What are you doing with your life? You know, <laughs> how, what, what are you going to do? You know, if you just work in the mines for 10 years, you'll have all this money, you'll be set for life. And I just thought, in 10 years' time, I'll be dead. And I, I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I started working as a personal trainer. And to cut a long story short, I just realised that when I was there I really loved helping people and I was a guy that people looked forward to coming and seeing at their end at the end of their day, that work all day and then they'd go to the gym to do something that they actually enjoyed. And I found that it wasn't always about the exercise. Some people needed to come in and just blow off steam and just talk. Um, you know, others had lots of stuff going on in their life and they just needed someone else to just listen. And so over time, I just kept learning and learning and learning. I ran uh, a big gym here in Adelaide, rebranded it, became uh, one of their their managers. We set up a franchise system and I went out and and, um, helped out with the franchise system and the training. And that's where I really found that also I love teaching. So not only did I love learning, but I also love teaching. Um, And then from there, I started working at a medical center as well and then shifted all my business over to a medical center and started running a gym and a studio in the medical center. Um, And I guess it just evolved from there. But what I found was in the medical center when I was doing a lot of rehabilitation and a lot of physical exercise and, and training was that the, the, in the medical center was really, really interesting because the chiro hated the physio and the physio hated the chiro, the nutritionists hated the naturopath and the naturopath hated the nutritionist and the doctors I think hated everybody and they weren't really there for patient outcomes. They were really there to show that their way was better. But at the same time, I saw a lot of clients who would sit there day after day with pain or sickness and they're unhealthy and they're just getting bounced around from practitioner to practitioner. And I thought, what's going on? And so I started exploring why, you know, or what was going on in their lives. And what I found is that in life, most people know what to do. They just don't do it. And I think that intrinsically, we all know what to do. We just don't do it. You know, like when someone tells you, you need to eat more healthy, you go, no shit. Or you should drink more water. No shit. Um, You know, you probably shouldn't be drinking so much. No shit. Um, So we have this intrinsic knowing that what works and what doesn't work within our own life. I think that just a lot of people get so caught up in the running of life and, and comparing themselves to others and what everybody else is doing. And everyone else looks more successful and everyone else looks like they have their shit together and I don't. And so we just get caught up in this super fast world that's going flat out. And we forget to ask ourselves good quality questions. and We forget what's important to us which then that led me to the journey of studying the human mind and mindset. So I started working with the psychologist a little bit. I started studying um, different fields like NLP and hypnosis. Um, and, and that was really great. It opened up the door to me starting to jump out and run workshops and training on things like that. And I just got to a point one day where I went, that's it. I'm going out to teach the world that really the way that you think will determine and dictate the way you live life. Full stop. You know, there I've worked with people who... Had to start with nothing. You know, one of my clients years ago, uh, who's a really good friend of mine, when I started working with him, he had a $70 million property development company, uh, which is now over half uh, half a billion dollars. Um, and it can be, depending on the fluctuation of what's going on in the property end- industry, can go almost up to a billion dollars. Um, and he, when he was younger, he had a brother who committed suicide, another brother who died uh, when he was younger with a heart condition, um, and he was homeless, I think at 13 or 14, so you look at a story like that and you go, well, why is it that a kid who's homeless, who has so much stuff going against him, can turn his life around, have a great family, you know, can make all this money, travels around the world, loves what he does, meets these amazing, extraordinary people. Or there's people who go to school, have a good education, and they hate life. They hate themselves. They hate everything that's going on. Their life looks like shit. Why? Then there's other people as well who get brought up with a great education who end up going on and having a great life as well. What's that thing? What is it that, that, why is it that really our past doesn't t- dictate our future? What, what is it there? And I guess they were the questions that really drove me for a long, long time. And over the years, I've just kept learning and studying. And, you know, I've, I don't have a university education because I've tried to avoid um, going through a system because I don't want to have a predetermined way of thinking. I don't want to be told whether my thinking is right or wrong. What I want to do is I want to explore and I want to find out what works. Um, the cool thing is, and as you know, I get to work with some of the smartest people on the planet, um, in those areas of human behavior or health. Um, and, and they have the qualifications and they teach me what they know. And then I try and piece it all together. So I guess I'm the, I'm the jigsaw puzzle man that pieces a whole bunch of different fields of studies together to try and figure out what is it that really drives us in life. And, and I guess you could say now, if you want to label me, I'm a high performance coach, um, a high performance mindset coach and Get hired by some of the, the top entrepreneurs in this country, and um, some of the some sports people as well, who hire me as their private coach to just help them take it up to that next level and still feel fulfilled. Um, you know, I work with a lot of people who achieve amazing things, yet they still feel like shit every day, and they feel like they don't achieve anything and that they haven't done anything. And um, I also meet a lot of people as well, especially through my events and seminars, who um, love their life and don't really have a lot. So for me, my goal is to try and bring both of those two things together. How do we achieve at a rapid rate and do the things that we really love and that we really enjoy, and how do we get the best out of ourselves? What is that thing that really drives us at our core that makes us fulfilled but also super successful as well? Well, that's
1: great because I get lots of emails from my listeners uh, saying they want to take it to the next level or they would like to achieve more or do more projects or take on bigger projects. So I thought this would be a great opportunity for the two of us to talk about, well, how do you get from point A to point B? Because you help thousands of people to do that. So when you when someone comes to you and says, Mojo, I want to get from A to B. I want to go from doing a three townhouse project to a 10 townhouse project or a 20 townhouse project or multiple projects, whatever it is. What's the process that you go through with them so that they then have a plan that they would work on and also how do you then work with them along the way? Awesome. We, there's, might, there's we might step through that because that's a, that's a pretty big question. I was going to say
0: there's a few questions inside that question there. You're throwing <laughs> me some curveballs. Um,
1: we'll start at the top. Someone comes to you and says, I want to, I'm, I'm, want to get from A to B.
0: I'm at, I'm, at, I'm at A and I want to get to B. Excellent. The very first thing that I want to do is to find out why. Why? Why do you want to do it? Because unless you have an intrinsic driver on the inside that says, This is what I'm born to do, you're going to sabotage. So what I've found is that when when people, a lot of people come to me or come to my events, some of them are extremely successful, and they've already done extremely well in maybe one or two areas of their life. Yet they're extremely unfulfilled because a whole bunch of other areas of their life fall to pieces, which then can drag down the areas of their success. And I'll give you an example: you know, I had a client who uh, who does mergers and acquisitions and makes you know tens of millions of dollars every year in in his personal income, and he's so great at what he does financially and in business, but he's not as great in his intimate relationship because he didn't understand intimate relationships. And what he thought was, this is how I operate and this is how I function. Therefore everyone should function like me. And so he projected a lot of his, his uh, way of living onto his partner. And then his uh, wife at the time just got so stressed out because she felt like she could never live up to his expectations. And so they argue quite a lot until eventually he just goes, well, fuck it. The world's my oyster. I can do whatever I want because I've got enough money to pretty much do anything. So, therefore, I don't need you because you're just holding me back. So, then they end up breaking up. Uh, He came came to me and we we do some work. And eventually, um, what we ended up finding out, and this is is a common pattern, um, what we ended up finding out was it was just being really unclear on what makes that person really fulfilled. Um, And what he found was that his wife really made him feel great in the area of his health because she consistently looked after his health. But he couldn't put that into a financial term. What we did was once I showed him how his wife was actually helping him to do his job better by keeping him healthy, which gave him mental clarity, the ability to function better, the ability to work harder, and so on, he went, wow, she actually makes me a lot of money by having her in my life, which then met his highest values and what he really loves to do in life. But at the same time, uh, she had a a really high value on um, health and well-being and beauty and those sort of things. Um, and so he realized that when, by him making money, he can allow her or help her to live what's important to her. And so they both work together to achieve common outcomes in life instead of fighting against each other. Now, what, I fe- what I've found is that a lot of extremely successful people who make a lot of money tend to ignore things like their intimate relationship. But as you know, in this country, if you get divorced, you're pretty much losing half of what you've worked hard for. Now for some people that can be completely demoralizing and even uh, get them to a point of killing themselves or suicide um, or falling into massive bouts of depression because they might feel that they've worked extremely hard for 10 years and not really achieved anything that's important or they've lost half of what they've worked hard for. But at the same time, life's trying to teach us to master all of our areas of life, to master things like relationships and communication and understanding of others. Now. By understanding your why and why it's important for you to do that, it also eliminates part of us trying to chase after a fantasy or a delusion that we think that we're going to be accepted by others if we achieve that. You know, I remember years ago when I was at school, by being picked on by the way that I looked, by having bright red hair and freckles and pasty skin at the time um, and being overweight, I thought that if I could go to the gym and I could work out all the time and I could have a six pack and be ripped and lean, that then people would accept me for who I was. But what I found out was I, just, I got judged just as much. Um, you know, people thought that my whole life just revolved around that and that I was very superficial. So I got judged for, for that, um, which I was as well. But then I also spent most of my money on looking a certain way, which then depreciated my financial wealth so that I could look like I had my shit together. But at the same time, my financial wealth was suffering. That put a lot of stress on me. And so what, I, what happened was by trying to prove my worth or prove myself to others based on my own insecurities I was actually destroying other areas of my life without even thinking about it at the same time. By figuring out why we do what we do and why it's important to us, it can help us to eliminate some of those self-sabotage patterns and destructive behaviors or things that are actually going to maybe eliminate some of those problems for a short period of time. But over the long period, we're going to end up back in the same position. So money doesn't make a person happy. It never. Money doesn't do anything. All it is is it's an amplifier. It amplifies everything. So it amplifies our our inability to communicate now into my relationship and couples will argue more over it. It will amplify your physical insecurities. It will amplify the bad habits that you have. You know, I posted a thing uh, only yesterday about a person who ended up inheriting it. I think it was like a billion dollars or something. Um, And they, they'd gone bankrupt because it enhanced or, or, Amplified all of their really bad wealth behaviors and habits. You know, if you're used to having a lot of money consistently and you've got a spending pattern, and then you get given this whole bunch of money, it's just going to amplify that until you blow it all to pieces. Um, but also as well, it can amplify things. If you love what you do, if you're um, if you're strategic financially, if you're a good communicator in your intimate relationship, it, it enhances those things. So what we have to do is the very first thing that I want to know when I work with anyone is why do you do what you do? Why do you wake up in the morning? Why are you going to go through struggle and challenge? Because we all have it. You know, if we're going to make money and we're going to amplify our struggles and our challenge, we need to have a driver or or something more important. You know, you've worked in property before and things don't always go to plan. Why is it that you're going to keep going after that? Like when you get punched in the face, why are you going to get back up? Now, I'm a business owner as well with staff and a whole bunch of other stuff. This whole year has felt like a boxing match where I've just had the shit kicked out of me. But at the end of the day, I keep getting up. there, There's part of me that goes, you know what, screw this. I just want to go do something else. And after two days of just being caught in my sob story and, you know, my emotional turmoil and crap, I get clear again. I go, you know what, I love doing this stuff. I'm back in the ring. And then you go again. People who achieve a lot of great things in their life tend to get punched quite a lot. And they keep getting back up and they stay in the ring. It's not about getting in the ring, ring and winning once. That's not how you achieve great things. That's normally That normally makes people overconfident. You know, you've, you've probably seen this in developing or in the financial industry where someone who does something and it, it works really, really well the first time normally gives them a, a, a very high sense of security. And they think that they're going to win like that all the time until they wipe themselves out. And then they, they learn that it's not always about the upside. It's how do you deal with the downsides?
1: Well, and life
0: is exactly the same.
1: Had That happen ah, to, ah. happened to myself with my uh, last project that was uh, strongly supported by council and they wanted me to do more, and that was great. But then, when I went back for the second time, and they thought they said I tried to max it out, and they the council went, uh, No, we're not happy with that, we want less. Mm. And I ended up in a fight with them, and it was a yeah, I was learning the lesson about uh, not thinking you're always going to get it your own way.
0: Totally. So it's the, it's the losses that give us character. You know, one of the quotes that I say consistently in my events is that trees grow the deepest roots in the harshest droughts. And our life is exactly the same. We grow our strongest foundations in our life from the greatest amount of challenge, uncertainty, pressure, stress. Why are you going to go through that stuff? Why? So why I believe is the most important question. And it's a very abstract question. You know, when I got clear in my, on mine, it really makes what I go through on a weekly basis of taking some decent hits consistently, um, it makes it worthwhile. And so for me, my purpose in life is just to lead an extraordinary life so that I can inspire others to do the same. It's very abstract and, and detailed. People go, well, what does that mean? It doesn't have to mean anything as long as in the morning when I get out of bed after I got the absolute crap beaten out of me yesterday. I can go, I get out of bed because my goal is to lead an extraordinary life and today is going to reflect that. Now, it doesn't always look like that by any means, but it's just a consistent reminder of why I do what I do. I think that my goal isn't to, isn't to tell people what to do in life. My goal is to just wake up in the morning and do cool shit so that other people look at that and go, I want to do cool shit too. And I go, cool, I can help you with that. That's all. That's the only thing that I do. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to tell people how to live. It's just I want people to come to me and say, how do, you, how do you do it? So I want to be a walking example of what I teach. I don't want to be one of those people who tell everyone else how to live and not, not do it. Um,
1: so what are the so kind you, of questions that you would get people to ask themselves or how people are looking at their life? How do they know what it is that they love or that what they would truly like to do?
0: It's a really, really good question. What my recommendation is first is from going from the why, the very first thing after I ask that question and sort of put it in their head, and, and if you don't mind, I'll jump around mm-hmm. in it and we we'll get to those questions. After I ask them the abstract of why they do what they do, normally they they rattle off a whole bunch of, of answers, which really aren't for most people, aren't even close. It's just that they have a whole bunch of preconceived ideas around what they should do in life. So just asking the question, what would I love to do, or what's the purpose in life? What would what would I what would I wake up every day and keep getting punched for or hit, and still keep doing it because there's something inside of me that's driven to consistently get back in the ring and fight for it. I think that's that's the big thing. Um, f- like part of mine is that I almost consistently since I've been a young kid have always asked questions about human behavior. I love watching TV shows about human behavior. I love you know watching how people operate. I love asking questions from highly successful people because I'm inspired by them. Um, I like watching what it is that makes someone achieve. That's what I love to do. Um, I'll I'll consistently watch documentaries about high performers and how they – and then I pick it all apart and try and figure out what are the commonalities. So life has always been like that for me. It's just I, I haven't put it into something that I'm consciously aware of. So what you'll find is that most people have always been driven to live their purpose anyway. They're just really unclear on it.
1: So is, that, so, about, sorry to interrupt. so, is that looking for clues in your life that are giving you an indication or steering you towards something?
0: Yeah. And what you'll find is that once it gets clear anyway, you go, oh, no shit, I've done that my whole life anyway. So, you might find that in property, if I had a client years ago who he just consistently used to drive around and look at houses. He used to just look at, you know, he'd drive through a suburb and see how many buildings are going up. And he'd, he'd see, you know, how old and dilapidated houses were, and what needed to be renovated. He would consistently think, like, how could I rejuvenate that, or how could I, how could I transform that or morph it? And so, for him, he was doing it anyway inside of his own head. He just hadn't really monetized it because he was working a job doing something else. So, what he loved to do was he loved to reinvigorate um, either vacant land or old houses into something that people could live in. Uh, my wife, Jess. For her, she always loves to make things beautiful. Now, she never thought that that's the thing that she loves to do, is that she just loves to make things beautiful. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's just that she's consistently trying to make things beautiful. Now, whether that's putting a painting in the house, you know, um, creating something like doing art or for her, it's always about how to make things around her look Beautiful. Now that doesn't mean the same to me, you know. If I, if, when I think about beauty, I'm thinking about parking a Ferrari in the lounge room because I find that beautiful. Whereas she's thinking about the right colour pillows and how they match, or looking at our website and seeing how the colours all interlink into each other. Whereas for me, I don't couldn't give a toss about that. But for her, that's the thing that keeps going through her head consistently on a daily basis, and has done for an extended period of time throughout her life.
1: And she did, so, what, does she also like to add lots of pillows to your
0: to your bed? We, we don't even talk about pillows anymore in this house. We don't even bring up the topic because uh, I think my frustration is, is that every day I have to deconstruct a fort before I even get into bed at nighttime, And then in the morning, I have to reconstruct that fort. Um, the same as to sit on my lounge, I have to deconstruct the fort or the the pillow, the wall of pillows before I use the couch and then reconstruct it afterwards. So... Yeah we don't talk about pillows it's a sore spot for me. Yeah
1: we yeah. we seem to acquire a new pillow for our bed quite regularly and it it's almost there's almost so many pillows that it covers the whole bed but as you say you just sort of have to let it go. <laughs> <laughs> if she's not home I just sleep
0: on the pillows because I can be other things <laughs> constructing the bed.
1: <laughs> and actually a, a question I love um asking people or suggesting people ask themselves if they're thinking about their purpose is if you could do absolutely anything at all without failing, what would it be? And that's usually a pretty good indication of what it is you'd absolutely love to do because yeah. I think it's the fear that holds people back quite a lot.
0: I think also the, the challenge is that it takes time to really get clear on your purpose. You know, we have a lot of people who come to our events. Um, one of my the, – the big main event that we run called Thrive Time, um, what I found was that most people just don't have a roadmap for their life and and that's – what I created because I used to go to all these motivational events and I get all pumped up and fist pump people and high five strangers and hug people that I didn't know. And then two weeks later, I'm crashing and I'm feeling shit and I'm beating myself up. And you know, why do I feel this way? Cause no one else feels like this. And um, everyone else seems to be achieving and I don't, and they seem to be happy all the time and I'm not happy all the time. And they seem to be positive and I'm not always positive. And I started resenting and hating myself. Um, and one day I had this massive meltdown. I went to a cafe down the road from our house. And I started mapping out, it actually was a three day period, but I started mapping out all these tools that I had. And I realized that I was getting from going to all these different events. I was getting bits and pieces, but no one actually just went right. Let's sit down for four days or three days. Let's get super clear on the foundations of what actually drives you in life. What's the core thing of, if you could wake up every day and do something that you loved and you were highly skilled at it, you would go through hell and back. But at the end you'd come out victorious. What does it look like? How are we going to get there? How do we help you to keep moving through it? How do we consistently balance out your emotional state so that um, you're not consistently swayed by the idea of having an easy life or nothing ever going wrong? Because a lot of the time our emotions are the things that distort us off track. You know, something that uh, Dr. John D. Martini, who we've both studied under or who we both study under and and how we met, you know, um, something that he talks about quite regularly is that how emotions just take us off our path. Um, one of my friends, who is a—he's probably one of the world's best business strategists—and he, he's an advisor to a couple of uh, personal billionaires. Um, he said to me, uh, "When intelligence is high, emotions are normally low. When emotions are high, intelligence is low. And so, what we want to do is we want it—we need a system as well to balance out our emotional states to make sure that we're making intelligent decisions that are based on our purpose um, that aren't guided by these." crazy erratic emotional states because what goes up has to come back down. And that's what I was going through at the time. So what I ended up doing was I had to create that map for my own life. And then I started implementing it with some of my clients and they were getting good results and starting to have more consistency in their actions because it's not, it's not so much that we wake up every morning and we smash the ball out of the park. Um, I think that it's the small seemingly insignificant things that are done on a daily or a regular basis that achieve the greatest results over time. You know, in, in your own career, it's not just having that one development that went great that, that's helped you achieve or, or helped you get to where you are today. It's all of the little things that you do on a daily basis that most people don't think about. You know, a lot of people see the outcome. So they go, well, you know, you, you did a property development, you made some cash. I want to do property developing too. Well, that's great. You know, you see the guy at the gym who goes to the gym and you go, wow, they've got a great body. I should just go to the gym as well. But they don't see every morning that that guy wakes up and he goes, I can't be fucked going to the gym today. Yet he still gets out of bed and does it. And he has a shitty training session, you know, 50% of the time. He doesn't just go and have the best training sessions. He has the shitty training sessions where he walks out and he goes, You know, today was a crap session. But the thing is, he had the session. You know, it's those little things done on a regular basis that achieve the greatest results. For you, it's all those little things of like checking the numbers that most people don't see that are the boring, insignificant things, they're the ones that help you achieve the greatest results. That's where your skill set is. You know, for me, it's consistently working with people who have all these problems that help me to be great at what I do. It's not just so much that I run an event and, you know, 200 people rock up and they walk out of there and they go, woo, that was a great event. On the outside, that looks sexy, but that's not what actually helped me to, to get that result. What it was, was all the shit that I had to go through in order to get there. All the mistakes, the failures, the learning, the, after the coaching sessions where I walk out of my sessions and I go, I don't, I don't even know what I did today. Like I I just feel like I failed the whole day, the whole, every session that I had today was just shit. And then I beat myself up and I go, you know, why do I feel this way? And then the next day I go, you know what? Fuck it. I'm back on the bandwagon. Let's go again today. Today's the day I'm going to win. It's those little things that you consistently do that make you better. But most people don't realize that they just see the outcome, the end result. So let's, and so do you map that out? Well, what what I want to do is the first thing after I've asked them about the purpose. The second thing that I want to do is find their core values, their core drivers, or the things that drive them in life. And what we, what I I tend to do is and Dr. John D. Martini I think is probably one of the best at the world at asking the questions in regards to get to someone's values. And you know we've studied a lot of his work on that. But also there's some tricks of the trade as well that I've been able to find that help people to get to them quicker. But what I, what I normally do is you want to ask the questions about the way that they normally live. And um, John asked some of these questions as well, which it could be like, um, you know, what do you consistently think about? Because if you consistently think about something, it normally tells you that there's something in it. It doesn't give you, it, it, it's not like at school where, and, and I think this is also a challenge with life, is that we go through this schooling system where I went through it for 13 years where you're either right or you're wrong. Life's not like that. So you could be right today and wrong tomorrow doing exactly the same thing. You have to be adaptive when you have to be able to think through things in order to achieve great results. So what I want to do with our, with our clients is we want to start to work and to massage those values and those ideas. So what do we consistently think about? or What do you consistently think about? Then you want to write down the three to five answers that normally come up in your head. Now, that's not saying that that's exactly what your values are, but what it's saying is that there's something in it. So let's explore it. Then from there, another question could be like, uh, "What do you consistently love to do?" Where when you do it, you just find like you're in flow and time flies flies by. Um, for me, I love connecting and talking to people, so I find like I can talk for hours, and then all of a sudden I go, "Shit, is that the time?" And for me, I get in trouble for my team because I consistently do that and I forget about the time. Well, that tells me that there's something in it. Um, it might be that you love um, you love managing things. So when you're when you're managing people then that could, that's something that you're getting flow with. Uh, For Jess, it's doing art. So when she does art, she can be, she can sit there for hours and hours and hours and draw and completely forget what the time is. And I get all frustrated and annoyed at her because she told me she was going to do something two hours ago, but it's now four hours and she's still cranking. She hasn't even looked at the time, but she gets frustrated at me because I'm consistently talking to people. When I talk, I forget about the things that I said that I was going to do because I'm in the moment. They're key indicators. And normally the people around you give you feedback as well about those core indicators. So as I mentioned, Jess gets frustrated because when I talk to people, I forget about time. When she does art or when she's been creative, she forgets about time. So she gets feedback from people around her about that. But normally she gets it in, a, I guess you could say, in a negative way because they're saying, you know, you forgot about doing all this stuff. But she forgot about it for a very good reason because she's in the moment. She loves doing it. Um, another way could be uh, one of the, the questions that John asked, which I really like, is what applications do you use on your phone consistently? You know, if you look at a person's phone, you can normally tell what's important to them in life. You know, I'm assuming if you're like me, um, I use a lot of social media because I'm interacting and engaging with people. And that's why that's important. The other thing that I have on my phone is I've got a lot of financial applications as well. So banking, share market, you know, um, Gold prices, I'm watching those things because wealth is a high value of mine, it's important to me. Um, another one is a lot of uh, communication between our team and our business, so there's a lot of stuff on there for business, but also a lot of the, the things that I use are based around human behavior as well, and keeping track of clients and, and so on. So normally that gives you a, clear, uh, a pretty clear sign as well. Yeah. Sorry, a couple of
1: other things I reckon that uh, help you identify uh, your values is where you spend your money. Yes. You track where you, what you're actually spending your hard-earned cash on. That'll give you an indication of what you think is important. Yep, um, And then also how you spend your uh, – what you surround yourself with. So if you sit in your office or if you have a space or even in your own – anywhere, at work, in your house, look around you and see the kind of things that you like having around you, like what the type of books might be. Are they business yep. books? Are they art books? Are they Books about history. Again, there's all these little clues that are uh, in your life to help you get an idea of what you actually
0: value. Even just in your space, like if you come into my office, you can't see, but on the right-hand side, I've got like a small little library here. And so for me, I buy lots of books and lots of education because studying and learning is important. Whereas when you walk into Jess's office, I noticed that this morning she had um, pens and pencils and all of that stuff with an art book on the ground. Because for her, that's important. Also, in her office, she has a lot of spreadsheets and things like that because, wealth's important. She's really good at financial structure, whereas I'm better at financial creation. So I'm always looking for opportunities and, and you know, ways of how we can grow our business and so on. Whereas Jess will be more structured and strategy, numbers orientated. So the things around you normally uh, are a giveaway. If you walk into our lounge room, there's an exercise bike. It tends to tell you that maybe exercise is important because why is there an exercise bike in the lounge room? in my house. And if you walk around the house, there's things where there's exercise gear, there's my gym clothes, my gym shoes, uh, there's weights. There's a whole bunch of stuff around the house that shows that exercise is important to me. So we actually live in our values anyway. And what I've found is that a lot of people just don't have clarity on them because they're comparing themselves to everybody else. But when they just cut all the bullshit out, they can just see how clear their values actually are because they're surrounded by them anyway. So what you want to do then is you want to create a list of what you believe are your core values by understanding what you think about, what's around you, what apps you use, and you just want to create a few reference points. Then from there, you want to prioritize them by asking yourself, what's more important? A or B, B or A, and you just keep going through the whole list until you create a priority order. You know, is A more important or C more important? C more important, A. A or D, D or A, and you keep going through until you create that priority. Think,
1: sorry to interrupt again. I think it's really important when you're doing that to be quite honest with yourself and not um, not coming up with things that you think your that you should come up with or that you think your wife or your partner thinks that you should have or that you think they would want you to have. Yeah, I think you've got to be really honest with yourself and 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 um, outline those values or list those values that, in a way that's genuinely reflective of what you actually think and feel.
0: Yeah, and that's a, a really good point. What I, what I found was that once I got really, really clear with my values, I realized that Jess, um, my wife, she's number seven on my values list. Now, can you imagine going to your partner and saying, hey, look, there's seven more important things than you in my life.
1: <laughs> Most
0: people fear stuff like that. But the truth is that she, when we sat down and we did it together, I was number eight on hers. And when we're honest with each other, we went, okay, so if we do the things that are above, if we live those other values, then we're actually better in our relationship anyway. So my goal then is to help Jess to live her seven higher priority values because when she does that, she's fulfilled, which means she's glowing, she's bubbly, she's fun to be around, she thinks clearly. And when I live my six other high priorities than her, then I'm fun, I'm happy, I'm excited to be around, you know, like – I could come out of this now because my highest value is um, learning, my second highest value is teaching, and my third highest value is uh, high value connections. So, by having this conversation, I'll walk out of here now and I'll be buzzing. Whereas, if I wasn't doing something like this and I had to prioritize her consistently, I'd be an asshole. I'd be frustrated, stressed out, because in my head, I'm going, I really want to go and do something else. And I think that's what creates a lot of stress in relationships, is that most people think that they should be something that they're not and they're not honest with their partner, and then they both complain to each other, they both lie to each other, but the truth is they lie to themselves. Unless you're clear with yourself, don't judge other people for lying, because most people lie to themselves in their throughout their lives. We all do it. It's just to what extent.
1: Yeah, and I, and I often get emails from people or listeners to my show who say they would love to do more developing, but... They're, they fear, their wife is scared that they're not going to earn the same amount of money or if, they, if the project doesn't work and they go bankrupt and the concerns of their partners weigh heavily on them. Yep. And um, what, what's, your th- what's your thoughts behind that?
0: Okay, so here's the thing. At the end of today, both you and I and everyone listening is one day closer to death. Now that sounds gory to almost everyone I say that to, but the thing is that most people take the shit that happens to them in life way too seriously, but they don't take the fact that every day they're a day closer to death seriously enough. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm at the end of today, I'm one day closer to the end of what I'm here to do on in on Earth, and then I get people come to my events, they go, well, twenty years ago a kid at school judge me. Okay, cool. Well, let's walk around with that for the rest of your life, but at the end of today, you're going to be one day closer. And now it could happen in a week, a month, a year, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, I don't know, and nor do you for most of us, but we're going to die. And we're going to die knowing that we carried around that shit because we thought that that was important. If we just let go of that crap and we get to the point of that, I'm actually here, I'm alive. You know, I I can't remember what it is, but there's like, it's, we have like a one in what a 50 trillion or something ridiculous, like whatever the number is. And it's a, it's a crazy number chance of the sperm even hitting the egg. You're the sperm that won the race. You got to the egg on time. Then from there, the chances of you actually going through um, you know, pregnancy and actually coming out as a human being that, that is functioning enough to be able to listen to this podcast is absolutely extraordinary. You know. Then when you look at it, the chance of us having atoms that fit together so well in its structure that it can put together and molecules that it can put together things like elements and those elements then make up a cell, that one cell, even that itself is absolutely fucking extraordinary. Like it's mind boggling when you think about it like that. And it came from supposedly this place in the universe where there was supposedly this bang and, and you know, how, however we want to talk about whether there's a big bang or whether we want to talk about whether it's a remodeling system or whatever like that in itself is just mind boggling. And where we we have these atoms that fit together in a nice structure that then create molecules and elements and those elements then make up cells and those cells then come together in order to fit together to create organs and you know limbs and the ability to be able to think like that in itself is just so mind numbing mind numbingly extraordinary that I don't even I've never met a human that can actually comprehend that and we're worried about that our wife doesn't want us to do developing. To me, it's just it's irrelevant. It is honestly irrelevant. What I've found is that when we're clear with ourselves, part of the reason why we have an intimate relationship with a partner that questions what we do is they're just making sure that we're not stupid. Now, if you're certain and you sit down with them and you say, "Well, look, I've done all the numbers and I've crunched it. I've looked at what I've looked at what could go right and I've looked at what could go wrong. And what we're going to do is we're going to mitigate the risks by doing all this stuff." Now, something could go wrong, but every day I'm going to work. <laughs> It, it, things could go wrong anyway. You know, we had Holden's that shut down here. Nice, safe job. I've worked there for 20 years. Everything goes well. I get holiday sick pay and one day I come into work and they're going, we're shutting the factory. Well, isn't that exactly the same as well? We have done all my risk assessments and I have figured out what could go right and what could go wrong. And it could go wrong. I might not have money. Well, the same as every other worker on the fucking planet. Same thing, right? It's just that what most people do is that they put their own responsibility for their own lives in the hands of others. People are quick to judge business owners when a business shuts down. They go, well, we didn't get paid and, you know, we lost our jobs. That's because you didn't take responsibility for what you really wanted to do. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you love your job and maybe the business owner did stuff up. But at the end of the day, you're at just as much risk of going to a job as you are running your own business or doing your own development if you're smart about it. If you are dumb about it, and I've had plenty of people and friends who I know who buy property and they go, well, property always goes up. And I had a friend of mine who bought two properties when everything was going great and banks were throwing money around before 2008. Um, and I, don't, I still don't even think that they can sell the property for what they paid for it because it was just overinflated. It was ridiculous. It was in a shitty area that wasn't growing. But they have been convinced and all they could see was an upside with no downside and no risk. And then when everything fell apart um, – They 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 got taught a very valuable lesson. Don't be stupid. Look at the downsides. That's why I'm not a fan of positive thinking. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. What I what I know is that the greatest entrepreneurs that I've ever worked with are both pessimistic and optimistic. They're optimistic enough to realise that things could go right and that there's a benefit to what they're doing. And you know they they see things for better than what they could be in the future. But at the same time, they see the risks. They see the challenges. They see all the things that could go wrong, and they mitigate those risks. And that's a great entrepreneur stupid entrepreneurs are the ones that start and they go everything's just going to go right everything will work we'll figure it out along the way and then they end up running flat out and then they realize there's a cliff there and they hit rock bottom or the other ones who are so fearful that they're so scared and they don't do anything because everything could go wrong and nothing could go right i think both of those two things on extreme are crazy so
1: and i I think it also goes back to understanding what your partner's values are and so if they're worried about financial destruction or financial problems, then you need to figure out ways that you can help satisfy her need to understand that that maybe won't happen or that you're going to put in place all these things to help mitigate that. And as you say, you can't rule everything out, but yep. you can, that, that's life in general. At least you're going to have a go and be doing something that you really love to do.
0: And if, in all honesty, if you love to do it anyway and you lose it all, you're going to be back again anyway because it's what you love to do. And there's something intrinsically inside of you that says, let's go again. You know, I've almost got to the point a couple of times in business where I've almost lost everything. Um, you know, the start of this year, we had a, a GM who was running the company. And by the time I found out what was what was going on, I wasn't keeping track of the numbers because I was on tour and all, all those sort of things. And I was just under so much pressure. Um, and the business was growing so fast that by the time I caught it, we we're in deep shit. And I said to the team, either we're going to expand or we're going to contract. And I'm telling you right now, contraction isn't an option. So what? here's what we're going to do. Is anyone who doesn't want to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I completely understand. And all I'm going to do is ask you to leave now. Anyone who's happy to work and you've got the vision and you've got the drive and you want to be here and you want to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week and do whatever it takes, then let's rock and roll and let's make this baby work. And we had a couple of staff who left and we had a couple of staff who stayed and the staff who stayed, we just grounded out. And and now we're starting to reap the rewards again. And they're part of those rewards because we did it together, but they loved what they do. And all I did was I just got through the people who didn't really want to do it. They wanted a nice, comfortable job, you know, so they could go do other things in life. And that's all okay too. Like running a business is is probably the stupidest thing you ever do. The same as property development. It's probably the stupidest thing you ever do. Playing in the financial industry is probably the stupidest thing that you ever do. But for some people, we just love it so much. We can't, we can't not do it, right? So that's just it, it's how it is. Like I have friends of mine who say, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur. You don't want to be an entrepreneur. You either are or you're not. And if you're trying to learn how to be an entrepreneur, you're definitely not an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs just do what they have to do in order to get the outcome, right? That's, that's what it is. And what I found is that if I can talk someone out of owning a business, they were never meant to own the business in the first place. Every person that I've always come across who is supposed to be a business owner, I talk, I try to talk them out of it, and they turn around, and in the back of their head, there's this little voice that goes, fuck, you don't tell me what to do. <laughs> That's because they're intrinsically driven to do it. Yeah? So I don't know if any of that made sense, but it's really, I think, with in relationships, it's about communication and getting super clear on your values and what's important to you, also understanding your partner and working together. One of the most powerful things that we do at Thrive Time is once – when we do the values, a lot of – especially females for some reason, but it's starting to become more of an issue with with males as well, is that a lot of females, I think, when they have kids, perceive that their kids have to be their number one value and they have to be a mum, and that's the most important thing. Yet there's a lot of women out there as well and also men who feel shit about themselves and about their life because they feel like they're not doing what's important to them because they have kids, What I always tell them, though, is that kids watch what you do and how you behave. They don't listen to what you tell them to do. And all humans do the same, right? They learn through actions and behaviors of those around them. So by a lot of parents subordinating to their kids and their intimate relationships, what they're actually doing is that they're showing kids that it's okay to not do what you love to do in life. So the best thing that they can do is to get super, super clear and be the most awesome person they can be and show their kids this is what life looks like. This is how you live awesome. Now, you, kids can kids can um, still feel loved and fulfilled by parents who are working hard and doing stuff like that because when you come home, you want to spend time with kid, your kids because you're fulfilled. A lot of parents come home. They're stressed out. They're frustrated. They don't want their kid. You know, it's just like they're frustrated. Um, they're blaming other people. They're stressed out. And then they switch on the TV and watch TV for five hours instead of playing with their kids because they're trying to figure out what's going on in their head. And they call that connection. That's not connection. That's escapism. And they're teaching their kids that that's what it looks like. So the most honest thing that a parent can do is get super clear with their values and say, your job in life is to be awesome. And this is how awesome I am. Watch what it looks like so that you can go and do that as well. I think that most parents want their kids to grow up and do something great. But they're not doing that in their own life. And the kids are watching.
1: I actually had a friend of mine. I was having a conversation with him during the week. And it's basically, uh, he realized, because he was telling me how he wasn't really satisfied with the work that he was doing, and then he said his daughter came up to him and was talking to him about uh, what she would really love to do, and he said, yeah, follow your dreams, and go and do this, and, you know, have a go, and then he stopped and realized he wasn't following his own advice.
0: Totally. It's, I mean, it's so common, It's, it's crazy, it's, yeah, yeah. Of the amount of the amount of parents, and especially, uh, I guess, women, because it's been more preconditioned over time. But for males, it's the same sort of thing is happening in this day and age where uh, males have been conditioned that if you're a dad, you've got to be a dad, but you've also got to look after your health. So, therefore, you've got to be a role model health-wise. You've also got to make money financially because that's been around for a long, long time as well, preconditioned. But also, as well, you have to learn, you have to grow, you have to be adaptable, you have to look after your friends. And what they're trying to do is they've got – 10 bits of mail and only one mail, only one bit of mail fits in the mailbox at a time and it's got to go in the right order. That's how our brain works in regards to our values. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to get 10 bits of information and jam it in that one place and it doesn't fit. You can't have your wife or your husband as your number one value and your kids as number one and your health is number one and your work is number one and your career and your friends is number one. But most people try to do that and then they convince themselves because probably 95% of society doing exactly the same shit. They're trying to convince themselves that, oh yeah, you know, friends are the most important thing. No, family's the most important thing. No, my relationship's the most important thing. No, my health's the most important thing. And because of that, they're confused. They don't know what to prioritize. Now they're stressed out, they're frustrated. And the only thing to do is have a destructive behavior. And that destructive behavior might be to sit down and watch TV for eight hours a night for no real reason. It might be to binge eat a whole bunch of food. It might be to use drugs and alcohol. It could be that you end up making yourself so sick that you're just absolutely numb on medication. Um, And I'm not for or against medication. There's a time and a place for it. But more and more of the medications that we're seeing, like the number one most commonly prescribed medication are painkillers. And when I went back and I had a look at the studies on painkillers, it's something like, I can't remember the statistics, so don't quote me on it, um, but a high level of pain that people have doesn't come from a specific incident. It comes from, I woke up in the morning and my neck's knackered. Or, you know, I went to pick up a towel from the, the bathroom floor and my back went. Well, it doesn't make sense that you picked up a towel from the be- from the bathroom floor and your back just blew apart. It doesn't make sense that you went to bed at nighttime and your neck was fine, you woke up and now you've got all these neck pains and back aches or you're getting headaches all the time. They're all symptoms of something else that's going on deeper. Now, every human being knows that I, that I've spoken to really Knows that if you're stressed, your traps tighten up. Well, what about every other emotional state that's going on in your your body responds physiologically to what we perceive is important emotionally, mentally, um, and it creates it creates movement patterns. That's why our bodies are there to move towards things, to move away from things. Um, so, if we're getting a lot of these symptoms, that really. That can't be put down to a single point in time, like I was crossing the road and I got hit by a car or I rolled my ankle when I stepped off the gutter and my ankle broke. If we're just waking up with pain or we just get a headache in the middle of the day, the question is why? What's really going on? And is it a symptom of a whole bunch of stuff that's going on in our head that's causing muscles to tighten and release, to move our body in certain ways, to adapt to environmental factors or stresses or perceptions that we have? Now, I, don't, I can't really have an answer for that, but to me, that is the thing that makes the most amount of sense to me, especially in all the different fields of study that I've done from fields of neuroscience to psychology to human behavior to physical anatomy. You know, to me, a lot of those things don't make sense, but people are on these painkillers. The question then becomes, what's the pain really from? Is the pain from... The neck pain, or is the neck pain part of a symptom of something else that's going on and there's pain elsewhere? And what I've found is that when I'm working with people like that, the pain is normally mentally. It's normally mental pain that's going on somewhere from some perception or something that they've created from a point in their life that then has created these symptoms in the body that's almost like a warning sign. It's a wake-up call. Um, You know, a lot of uh, mental health medication, if you go back and you have a look at the MIMS, you can see that a lot of it is a numbing device. You know, a lot of depression medication makes people numb. Um, It's not saying that it's good or it's bad. Like if someone's going to kill themselves or jump off of a building, then to make them numb is a great thing. But to be on that for 40 years and to feel numb and to be numb to life, I start to question whether that's an effective strategy or whether there's a better strategy there. Now, I don't have an answer for that. I'm not, I can't say anything about that. But what I know, I'm just asking the question, is there a better strategy for that? And what I've found is that when people do more of what they love, for some reason, their body tends to function better. When people do what they love and they're inspired to do it, they tend to have less physical pain. I can tell you right now that when I get overstressed and overworked and I just go, I wish everyone would just leave me alone, normally within a short period of time, I end up getting a cold or a flu or something that knocks me out, where I have to be away from everyone for a couple of days. There's just something in it, there's something more to it, but I can't say what it is and I'm not esoteric enough to just say, well, you know, it's because of, you know, whatever it is. It's I want to look at what's the science behind it. I want to find out what is the science that drives things like that. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that comes out in those areas, psychosomatics and so on. Um,
1: you see that with a lot of really good sports people. I think of a guy like Roger Federer. Mm-hmm. You know, Played to top-level tennis, one of the best to ever play. He's hardly ever injured. Yeah, however many Grand Slams he played in a row, it's like 10 years of Grand Slams or maybe even more. Just was always fronting up. Hardly
0: ever seemed to get injured. I mean, I look at things like that consistently. So you look at Warren Buffett. He eats McDonald's every morning, but for him, wealth is his highest values. He owns large amounts of shares of McDonald's shares. The same as Coca Cola. drinks Coca Cola all the time. Now, if you go to to a to someone who studies physiology, they go, "That is ridiculous. Like it's a wonder he's not riddled with cancer and you <laughs> know, be dead. And he, but he loves it. Like he because for him it's fulfilling to eat that way he's not eating mcdonald's because he's emotional he's eating it because he loves it because he owns the shares in the company and his his highest value is wealth creation now people who don't study those fields they don't go well he does it because of these reasons they just go well that's wrong that's bad but that's what he does and it works for him the question is why does it work for him and not others Whereas, what I found is that most people who eat junk food are normally doing it because of an emotional state that they're in. So it's different. Remember, when emotions are low, intelligence is high. But when emotions are high, intelligence is low. He's eating it for an intelligent reason and he can justify why he does it because he loves earning money off of his McDonald's shares. Then I have a look at other people like Federer, who doesn't have a lot of injuries. The question is why? Because he trains just as hard as the top 20 or top 30. They're all probably using very similar physios massage therapist, he doesn't have like any special secrets or special source. It, most of the stuff in high performance sports, they're very, very, very similar. It's just why is it that some people excel and other people end up with all these problems. You know, in any sport, you get guys like LeBron James, you get people uh, in basketball. Um, in, any, in any real sport, you'll see that the top players who love what they do tend to have less issues. And it really comes back down to why do they do what they do? Um, I read Andre Agassiz's book, which was called One, um, and in that book, he talks quite a lot about how he never really loved to play tennis, and you can almost watch the volatility of when he actually loves to play tennis and him winning tournaments and feeling great versus when he didn't really want to do it anymore and him being injured or sick or in pain or having um, shit in relationships and so on because those things exaggerate themselves over time to make us aware, I believe anyway. Um, Mike Tyson's book is probably the greatest, uh, probably the greatest book I've ever read on human behavior. Because my, I don't think Mike Tyson's smart enough to um, to lie. Now, if Mike Tyson's listening in, by the way, for some reason, um, I, I never said that, Mike. It's uh, <laughs> you know because um, I don't want the guy to kill me. But um, his book is absolutely brilliant because you watch a guy who, when he was younger, loved it so much and never had really any issues, to then going to the point where he lost the love of the sport and he started doing it for the fame and the glamour and he lost everything. So we've got to keep coming back to what's important. If we don't understand what's important, we end up losing things in order to bring us back. But then if we're off our path, our mind and our emotional state keep bringing us back to what we really love to do. So you might be sitting with family and if your brain's going, we should do property, do property, do property, and you keep bringing the conversation in your own head back to back to property or development or whatever it is that you love to do. You might be around family, and you might have convinced yourself that you're there, but you're not there. You're somewhere else, and your head's really trying to tell you what you really want to be doing.
1: I've uh, I've read that Mike Tyson book, and one part that I really re- remember clearly from it was that his coach, uh, when coach, what are they, trainer? Yeah, when he was seventeen or eighteen and coming up. His, co- his trainer used to wake him up in the middle of the night and say to him, you're the champ, you're the heavyweight champ, you're the heavyweight champ of the world, no one's going to beat you, you're the heavyweight champion. He used to wake him up in the middle of the night and tell him that and he said over time he just started to believe it. So, I mean, that's something you can do yourself to yourself every day and it'll slowly start to seep into your brain and to your thinking.
0: Providing, though, I think that it's the thing that you love. Like, I don't think Mike Tyson was the world champion, and was one of the greatest boxers, I think, in history. I don't think he was that because it just he got told consistently that he was a champ. Like, I mean, we tell ourselves, I know I do, and I'm assuming everybody else does it. We tell our ourselves shit all the time, it's a lie. It doesn't mean that, that's, that it's going to work out that way. Like, I've been to events where people do affirmations. It's like, I am rich. I am rich. I am rich. And they tell it. 10 years later, they're still not rich. It's just that you can't, you can't lie to yourself about what you're here to do on this earth. Now, I'll give you another really good example of that is when I go and see my sister, her highest values are kids. When I talk about human behavior and working with adults, she consistently converts it back to the way that the kids function operate for her to understand things. When she talks about the kids, I convert it back into what I do with adults in human behavior in the field of human behavior so that I can understand it. What we tend to do is we tend to relate stories in our own head and in our own life back to things that are important to us. So that's a that's a really clear sign as well. I think you'll find that people like Mike Tyson, and normally people who are highly successful, some who achieve great things do so because they naturally inflow and they just let life sort of push them in the direction and, and they sort of use what seems right to, to drive them in life. And if you look at people like Dr. Dre from, you know, the hip-hop artist, uh, if you haven't watched the defined ones yet, I highly recommend you do that because Dr. Dre, uh, who, uh, was one of the founders of Beats by Dre and Jimmy Iveen, um, if you listen to their stories, they let, they let their, their sort of own mental states guide them through life. Like if things didn't seem to be working, they just got out and they went and did the thing that seemed right at that time. And because of that, they sold Beats by Dre for three point something billion dollars. Dr. Dre is probably one of the greatest music producers on the planet. Jimmy Iovine worked with the greatest musicians in history and then ended up working with Apple to help them develop iTunes. And then he came to um, Dr. Dre and said, we need to create headphones. And they did their headphones. So people like that normally just allow the things that happen to them in life to guide them. If things don't seem to be working, they just adapt and they change and they evolve. For other people, though, that's not an effective strategy. Sitting down at something like an event like mine where they can actually get clear on that stuff. For, for most people, I think is a better strategy because if they don't have like a template or something to work off of, they just end up going off the wrong path and their whole life, they're trying to figure it out themselves, but they don't have the time, the energy, the resources because they're just consumed by so much stress and shit that's going on. It's just too hard. Um, so I think some people like Mike Tyson and maybe Roger Federer and people like that naturally just fall into that place where they just allow things to sort of let them flow. But for probably 99% of the population, that strategy won't work because just, they've got too much other stuff going on around them that they're, that they're just lost. Um, and until they get some clear path, they're going to struggle with that. Um, but that's what I found anyway. Um, I mean, you look at guys like Warren Buffett. He said that I think it was for like his ninth birthday or his eighth birthday. All he wanted was a money counter. So for him, from a young age, he just went, this is what I love to do. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. And because of that, he just let that guide him. I was never that lucky. Like I never woke up as a kid and just went, I want to work with people and I want to be in human behavior. That wasn't the case. I just had to let life push me through it. And then I had to figure it out along the way. But because of that, I found that most people were completely lost. And so because of what I love, I allowed that to create a strategy where I can help people to do that themselves. But most people don't have human behavior as their high value. Um, So yeah, it, it all just depends. It depends on what, what your strategy is in life. I think Mike Tyson though, he just allowed life to sort of push him in directions that allowed him to figure out what he was great at.
1: Well, apparently he was great at uh, smoking crack cocaine. Maybe.
0: <laughs> well, that's that was... what he ended
1: up doing most of the time.
0: Yeah, I think you'll find, though, that with, when you read his book, though, um, he had a lot of other stuff going on as well that caused massive amounts of conflict that he didn't know how to deal with. If he was just allowed to do boxing and everything else took care of itself, I think he would have he been far greater than what he actually was. I think the issue of self-acceptance and acceptance by others and him trying to fit in and wanting to fit in, I think that caused a lot of emotional volatility for him um, because as a kid, he was always picked on because of his slurs of speech and stuff. And I think one of his high values was connection. He loved connecting with people and you could see that throughout his book, but he had a lot of resentment and and anger and issues towards other people because he felt like everyone judged him. And so because of that, he used drugs, you know um, because of his, his acceptance as well of himself he used a lot of women to try to prove to himself that he was good enough, and I, and I think that that a lot of people go through that in life as well, where they develop destructive behaviours because they're trying to prove to others that they're good enough. You know, when you're a kid and you're picked on quite a lot, like I was as well, um, you, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to prove others wrong, um, but in doing so, it creates a lot of destructive behaviours in yourself. And you know, I went through that. I didn't, I never used drugs. Um, I still haven't used drugs. Um, I've never smoked a cigarette. But I used to consume ridiculous amounts of alcohol, especially when I was younger, like five days a week to the point of just being almost obliterated. Um, and that was my coping strategy. It was I, when, I, when I drank, I, I could fit in with others. But when I didn't drink, I was really, really shy. And so I had to learn how to do that without drinking. And, and these days, I rarely drink. I'll, I'll have a glass of wine. Um, you know, I live here in Adelaide near and, and my sister and brother-in-law live in McLaren Vale, the wine region. So I'm surrounded by alcohol. I, I don't mind drinking a glass of wine every now and again, but I find now it actually impedes a lot of what I love to do. So, you know, if I'm studying human behavior and working with people and I'm hung over or I feel a bit tired or I feel a bit groggy, it impedes my ability to do that. So I don't really drink a lot. Um, but yeah, I think you'll find a lot of destructive behaviors are from people's past that they're trying to deal with, but they don't know how to deal with it effectively. Um,
1: yeah. Alright, so you've gone through purpose and mm-hmm. people are figuring out their values,
0: then what's next? So with values, what I would suggest is once you get clear on your values, then what you can do is you can really ask yourself, if I were to live those values every day, what does it look like? What's a common link? Because that would give you a purpose. So I normally work from asking the question of purpose first, letting the abstract brew in their minds a little bit, then going down, getting really, really clear on their values, And the priority order of those values, then going back and saying, if we could tie all of those values together, and if you could wake up every day and do something that you love, that helps you to achieve the most amount of those values as possible, what would it be? And it's normally a very short, abstract sentence. It's not something where it's this big, long thing that you've got to read out. It's just something short, sharp, and shiny. You know, I had a client of mine who uh, runs a multi-million dollar company uh, that's a trade based industry. And I said, what would you love to do every day? And he said, I just want to do fucking cool shit with fucking cool people. That's it. That's his purpose. Now, for him, when he read it out, he was like, "That's my thing." Now, for someone else who doesn't swear and doesn't, you know, doesn't think like that, they're not going to use language in like that. Um, for some other people, it's, I just want to help people to expand their way of thinking. Uh, I met a person who owns a lot of childcare sentences, and he said to me, "I just want to enhance our future by giving kids the greatest potential, uh, the greatest potential start to their life." That was it. And he owns a whole bunch of childcare centers here in Adelaide. Um, so it, it's just something short, sharp, and shiny that makes us understand what we're here to do. Then finally, after that, I highly recommend that we go and create a mission. Now, a mission is a little bit more chunky. There's a little bit, meat on the, a little bit more meat on the bone than the purpose and, and the values. And what that looks like is that the mission is more of like, what does it look like into the future? How are we going to do it? Why are we going to do it? And it's, you're starting to put some more details in, but it's not a goal. So we don't put timeframes on it. We're not very specific about it. You know, for me, one of the big things that that my big mission is in life is to create a university system where we can have some of the greatest thinkers come together and where there's open debate to solve problems, to to solve some of the greatest problems in human history in that university. I hate the fact that a lot of my friends who work in universities are scared to publish information because the, you know, the, the university as a whole comes down on them if they go against what's you know, what goes against the grain. I hate that because there's a lot of really good information that's not being put out because people are too scared of losing their jobs. I I want to create something different. I want to create a place where the smartest thinkers on the planet can come together and solve real issues. So that's that's part of my mission. There's a lot more to it. But you can see there, it doesn't tell me how I'm going to do it, but it just tells me what it looks like in the future. So we want to start to get clear with that. And your mission might expand and then contract, expand and contract. As you go through life, you might go, the things that I I used to think that were important aren't really that important. You might rub some stuff out of that mission. So you write a mission statement and the mission statement can be whatever you want. You know, I I think that giving people like this is what a mission statement looks like isn't a good strategy for helping to create a mission statement. It's just what is it? What does life look like in the future to you? What does it feel like? What are you going to do? How does your purpose fit into it? How does your values fit into it? And you can put all that in there. Some people that I work with It's like maybe two or three sentences. Some people, it's a five-page, you know, big thing about this is my mission in life. Um, Then once you've done that, you can effectively goal set. Now, a lot of people do goal setting and go to goal setting workshops, and I used to do tons of them, all these goal setting workshops. What I found was that most of them don't work, and they don't work because being driven and achieving a goal is one thing, but being driven, achieving the goal, and actually being fulfilled is a completely different thing. And I used to work with people who had achieved all this great stuff and they'd come into my office and they go, I want to kill myself. You go, what? You've got all this amazing stuff. And they go, I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate all the pressure, everything. Because they didn't have that fulfilling drive within them. What they were trying to do was they were trying to prove to others that they were good enough. They were trying to prove that they're successful. They're trying to prove to, I don't know, their parents that they're doing the right thing in life. That's a really crappy strategy of living. So by having the... Big, deep, wise first, the values, the purpose, and the mission. Not only can you achieve goals, but when you achieve goals, you go, cool, I'm on the right path. Your goal shouldn't be a celebration. It's just, it's just a reminder that you're on the right track. That's all that it is. If you wake up every day and you go, I get to do some cool stuff today, and at the end of the day, you go, I did some cool stuff today. You know, I got beat up pretty hard. Life was, some, there was some challenging stuff, but you know what? I love doing this stuff, and tomorrow I'm going to do it again. That's the, that's the reward. The reward isn't I'm working for the next six months to two years of going through pain and hell and suffering and I've got to push myself and I've got to drive to do this and then one day I'm going to celebrate. What I tend to find is that when they get there, they go, "Whoa, I achieved something. And for a day, a week, maybe not longer than a week, they celebrate. And they go, yes, I crushed it. I did. Oh, what's next? And most people are driven like that. They're driven with, through this Pain and suffering on a day-in, day-out basis so that then they can one day celebrate. And the the celebration is so short that then they set another goal because they want that feeling again, that feeling of, yes, I did it. But then again, they go through another one, two, six, ten months, two years of suffering just to get there again. That's a shitty existence.
1: So what do you do in terms of the uh, timeframes for setting the goals? Do you have – is it a daily, weekly,
0: yearly, quarterly – I personally don't do it that way. I know that there's so many different ways of goal setting. What I like to do is at the start of every year, I go back and I readdress my values, my purpose, and my mission just to make sure that things haven't shifted. Then after that, what I'll I'll do is I will go back, I will go through my goals, and I ask myself, what are the top three things that I want to achieve this year? So the top three things. I always break everything down into threes because if you think about the brain, we remember telephone numbers in, in normally three digits a lot easier than we do with four or five or six or 10. So I'll break it down into three big goals for the year. Then normally I break it down into four quarters. So I'll give myself four quarters. And in those four quarters, I set up three goals for each quarter. Uh, for each quarter. And then every week I look at those quarterly goals and I break it down into three goals for my week. And if if I'm really structured, which I'm not, what I normally suggest, someone who's highly structured, just pick three goals for the day that are gonna lead to those three outcomes for the week, which then lead to the three outcomes for the quarter, which then lead to the the three outcomes for the year. And normally it's a lot easier way of functioning and setting these big goals and these big things and then stressing about them all the time. Like it just breaks it down into nice, easily easy chunks. You know, it could be something like, I just need to call two people today Which so calls could be one of the three goals. The other one could be, well, health is important. So I'm going to go to the gym and my intimate relationship this year is something that I want to work on. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to book in time for next week to have date night. Simple. And then at the end of today, I can go, I just crushed my three goals. I'm feeling great about life. I did a whole bunch of other stuff as well to move me in that direction, but I got my three done. And by the end of the week, you get to the week and you go, I got my three done. Now, I've done that for, at the moment, we're, what, 50 weeks in for the year or 50 weeks, 51 weeks um, into the year. I've done that for 51 weeks. And by the end of the year, my top three goals are achieved. I'm on fire. Whereas I think most people try to set too many goals. They set three goals or they set 10 goals for each area of life. Like, I want to improve my health. I want to improve my wealth. I want to do this. I want to do that. But it's just, it's too much. And then we get so overwhelmed then with the idea of comparatives as well, like that person's making more money than I am. Shit, I got to chase them, and I got to make more money. Then I got to do this. They're never ever fulfilled. Like that, that lifestyle sucks. And I've been with some like amazing high level ultra wealthy people who come to me for private consulting, and their life is shit compared to my life without the money that they have. Now I'm not saying that with them that they couldn't have a great life. It's just that the way that they're living mentally and emotionally. And we don't live here, we live in here. Our brain is, that the place that we live is inside our own head. It's not outside. So if, we're, if there's chaos in here, the world that we see out externally is chaotic. So until we create clarity of mind, we're not gonna have clarity of action. And if we don't have clarity of action, we're not gonna have clarity of life. So, you know, I just think that if you get your head right and you just do things in a simplistic structured way, that's not too structured that it, that it confines you or defines you that allows you to sort of free flow a bit through life, it makes life so much more enjoyable. And you realize that with every with everything that goes well, there's going to be something that goes wrong as well. Um, something that I used to do after doing all the positive thinking events years ago was that after our events, I would sit down with people and our, our team and I'd go, what worked well? What did we do? Great. And then we'd high five each other because we did all this amazing stuff. And two weeks later, we'd get all these emails then we ran out of toilet paper in the bathroom. This happened, that happened. And you go, why are all these people so negative around me all the time? But it was because we weren't looking at what we could have done better. And so what I do now is I'm consistently asking my team what worked well, what could have been improved upon. On a good day, they'll tell me all the things that went really, really well. So they're, they're, they're over-inflating the things that didn't go well. So I'll ask them if 10 things went well today or, the, or on that project, what are 10 things that we need to improve upon? And it's almost like their brains lock up. They're like, oh, ah, no, that, that project was so great. No, 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 no. If we did 10 things really, really well, 10 things we need to improve upon, what are they? And once we start to balance it out, they go, shit, the next project that we do is gonna be way better because there's things to improve upon, but we also did a great job. And that's what creates the fulfillment, knowing that we did something really, really well, but there's things to grow into. And that's how we create that consistent flow through life that makes us fulfilled. If we're just always positive, negative things tend, tend to happen because we ignore those things that don't work well, but if we're looking at all the negative things all the time, we, we're going to feel like crap. So sometimes my team will come to me and they go, we didn't do this well, we didn't do that well. This needs to be improved upon. And I go, right, what worked well? Oh, nothing worked well. No, 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 that's not what I asked. What worked well? And then eventually when they balance themselves out emotionally, they realize that they that we did a great job. We learned heaps of stuff. And next time it can only be better. And that's how you you move through with those goals as well.
1: And so what about in terms of accountability? Who's responsible for ensuring... You do the three goals per day, per week, per month, per quarter. Is that you're relying on yourself to check in and make sure you're doing what you said you were going to do?
0: I think if you need accountability, you're not doing something that you love. I, I have accountability. I've got an accountability coach, right, who they're actually my business co- my business coach. They've given me one of their team members is, is the guy who does accountability, right? And that's part of their, their business strategy sort of stuff that they do. Every time my business, my um, accountability guy comes on, I don't need his help. And what he'll try to do is to find ways of helping me, but at the same time, I don't need his help. I work harder and faster and more efficient and more effective than most other people. I don't wake up in the morning and try to not do things. I'm working at my maximum capacity per day, sometimes more than that, which then makes me unfulfilled. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to figure out what's the most effective way and the most effective way of structuring my life so that I can achieve the most it's what I love to do. I'm not trying to avoid doing work. I love work. I don't want to avoid it. So I think accountability coaches are a waste of time. What I think accountability coaches are really good for is creating clarity in the steps to get stuff out of your head, to then put in a priority order so that then you can go and act. If you need someone to, to hold you accountable and you need to get this done by this time, then you got to ask yourself the question, is this really what I love to do? I mean, I don't need someone to tell me to go to the gym every day. If anything, I'm like, I'm pissed that I didn't go to the gym today. That's, so I don't need someone to keep me accountable. What I need is I need someone to just gain clarity of, of thought. That's really all an accountability coach should be. They should just be someone who helps you to gain clarity on what your top three are for the week and why that's important and then what your top three are maybe each day and then use that as a strategy. But eventually over time, you just start implementing it yourself because you're trying to figure out the best and fastest strategy for you achieving what you love. That's all it is. So I don't, I don't think account- the word accountability is a great thing. I had a guy who's supposedly a mindset coach who came to me and he said, you know, I want accountability. And so I started working with him for a little bit, and I ended up firing him as a client because he kept saying, you know, you don't hold me accountable. And I said, you're not the one who's holding yourself accountable. My job isn't hold you accountable. It's to create clarity so that you can go and take action. Your inaction isn't my fault. It's your choice. You're waking up and doing something that you don't enjoy, and. Every time I ask you questions, you avoid going there because you you pretend that you're, you want to be something that you're not. And you've convinced yourself so much based on other people's expectations and perceptions of what you should be in life. You've convinced yourself that that's what you need to be so heavily that when I ask you questions about your values, purpose, and your mission, you tell me what they want, not what you want. And you think that that's you. And that's how most people live life.
1: then what about in terms of timeframes beyond 12 months? You got Um, two year, three year, five year, 10 year goals?
0: How does that work? I used to set two, five and 10 year goals. But what I just found was that for me personally, um, I don't don't really use them that frequently because they change and adapt and evolve. I don't want to sit in front of my computer and do paperwork all the time by adapting those goals as everything changes. I, I just use the mission to guide me and every year I just get clear. Um, If I need to adapt those goals, then I will along the way. Like if I need to push them out for the next year, like halfway through the year, if I need to push them out for another year, I'll do so. But I don't really want to sit and do paperwork all the time because it's just unfulfilling for me. Some people like to have 20-year goals. I personally don't. I like to just work in one-year blocks. Now, that might change in two years. It might change in five years. It might change in 10 years. I think as you grow and your vision grows and as your mission grows, those timeframes need to expand. Because if you're doing a big development, that might be a 10-year plan. Then you need a 10-year plan. If you're doing something where you're just trying to get through the week, then you need a month plan. If you're trying to do something where you're just trying to make it through the year, then you need a one-year plan. And so for us, our business operates year by year at the moment because we're starting to gain momentum to go bigger and bigger and bigger, and then we'll push those out. For me, if I create a 10-year plan, that 10-year plan is going to be useless in six months because stuff's changed so quickly. So it just depends where you're at in your your cycle of growth. You know, some people are trying to change the world over the next 100 years. They're creating 100-year plans and working backwards. But everyone's different on, on how far ahead they need to think and look.
1: And so is there another step now? So we've done purpose, we've done values, we've done mission, we've done your goals, breaking it down into three. Yep. Is that the plan or is there more to it or is there another step
0: or more to that's, it? I, I believe that that's probably the best way for most people. What I don't like to do is I don't like to overload people with too much because what I find is that in a lot of personal development and a lot of coaches and stuff, what they, they'll, they'll slap everything on a person and then expect that person to juggle it. It's almost like, you know, you've got this, this cruisy life and then you go and have three kids. Well, your day plan when you've got three kids or you've got, is it two kids? Yes. How, how well does your daily plan work when you put kids into the equation? <laughs> right? Things change quick.
1: Nothing really works when you put kids into the equation.
0: Well, that's exactly the same when you have staff too. That's the same when you run a business. That's the same when you're doing a development, you know, your six month plan might turn into a one year plan. It might turn into a two year plan. It's just, I think adaptability is where most people lose it. Um, and the same with business. Like I, I've, I had a client come to me the other day and they said, um, you know, I want to start a business and I really need a really good strategy and a really good plan for the next like two to five years in order to start that business. And for me, for most people don't need a five year plan in a business. They don't even need a one year plan. They need the one-day plan, and that is make money today, keep the doors open tomorrow. If you keep doing that, eventually you get to a point where you need a month plan, and then you need a, a two-month plan, then you need a five-month plan, then you need a 10-month plan, then you need a year plan. And that's how that's how great entrepreneurs, I believe, start. It's not if, if they're really highly successful and they've got $100 bucks behind them, that's not where you want to start. But for the average startup business, it's about surviving until tomorrow. So it just depends where you're at. I think too many people worry about what the long-term is, Or they they don't worry long-term enough. It just depends where you're sitting on that scale. Some people are thinking 20 years ahead, but they can't even take action today. What's the point of a 20-year plan when you can't even get shit done today? But for other people, they're thinking about just getting through today, but not even trying to figure out what that means in the next year or two years or 10 years. So it just depends where you sit on that scale. And and you need to have both, but don't get get over-consumed by one too much. Um, you know, some people would just worry, as I said, some people are only thinking of today, they don't even know what, what they're doing in the next year, which sort of, they have no real fulfillment or purpose to life. But on the other hand, some people are so worried about their purpose and their mission that they're not actually doing anything today, which is a waste of time. And they need more goals and structure and, um, you know, they need to know what they need to do today to get shit done in order to get to there or else they're never going to get there. So it just depends. I think a a balance point of both is important.
1: Yeah, and I know John makes a amusing comment that quite often people will spend more time planning their annual holidays than they will planning their whole year for themselves.
0: Yeah, the amount of people who say to me, and this is the ridiculousness of how most people in our society live. You know, um, our event is a couple of grand and they go, well, I can't afford that. Yet they can afford a $14,000 car that depreciates every day that they drive it. And and that car was a $30,000 car that when they drove out the showroom floor lost 10 grand. And they call that an asset to their life because it looks like they have their shit together when they don't have their shit together. To me, that's just dumb. Like it's it's ridiculous. But they've been convinced that that's normal because everybody else does it. Um, then I have people go, I don't have the time. So they don't have the time to come and spend four days at one of my events or five days. And and I don't care whether people go to my events, but they don't have four days to sit down and think about what their life looks like. Yet they have three hours every night for the last 20 years to watch television, right? But they're so busy. They're not busy. It's just that they're busy trying to avoid dealing with themselves. So most people have the same excuses. You know, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the energy. I don't have the resources. Well, the thing is that we never, ever have them. I work with people who make in excess of, or their businesses turn over 500 million bucks a year. They still don't have any money because their next goal is a billion dollars. So to them, they're not worried about making a dollar. They're worried about the next billion dollars so that they can achieve the next goal. The average person who's trying to get through the week who makes a thousand bucks, they're trying to make two grand or five grand in order to get their next goal. We're always trying to push it harder because things in nature that don't grow die. And it's part of our intrinsic mechanism to push ourselves that little bit further. But for those who perceive that they never have enough, they'll never have enough anyway. You know, something that I've come to terms with is I'm never going to have enough time. So how am I going to deal with that? I'm never going to have enough money. So how am I going to deal with that? I never have enough support. So how am I going to deal with that? So by eliminating that and going, get the fuck over it, let's, let's figure out a strategy of how do I deal with it when I don't have enough money? What am I going to do in order to take that next step? You know, the law of supply and demand states that until you create demand, supply is never there. So until I push myself in order to go and do something more and to do something more effectively, then I'm never going to create the money. I'm never going to create the time. But the thing is that we create money we create time. It doesn't just rock up.
1: Actually, I enjoyed a comment you made on Facebook at some stage that you said there's no such thing as financial freedom. Can you talk there's us not... talk, talk us through that?
0: Well, there's no such thing as financial freedom because as we grow, our goals grow. And those goals trap us. You know, I'm trapped every day by the decisions that I make, by the, by the goals that I have. They're the things that trap me. So I'm never, ever free. But what I have is I have the ability to make better decisions. So I don't think we have financial freedom. I think we just have the ability to make different decisions with more money. That's all that it is. I, I have the ability to jump on a plane and fly to Bali and have a week off when I choose to. That doesn't mean that I'm financially free. It just means that I get to make that choice. And that's the difference as we grow.
1: All right, so what's your best tip then for people who are looking to take their business to the next level? Just keep
0: growing. You'll never learn enough. I think, I think your ability to adapt, to change and evolve comes back to the amount of knowledge that you have. The more you learn, the more you can make better decisions. So just never stop learning and never stop adapting and surround yourself with people who like that as well.
1: Okay, awesome. And if people want to find out more about Mr. Mojo, where can they
0: go to find out more about you? Uh, The best way is our website, themojomaster.com.au. You can go and check that out. We've got a national tour that's coming up in February and March, so you can come along. It's all about getting clear with what your core drivers are that are really going to drive you to achieve greater success and also uh, enhance your performance in life in all areas. So I'm going to be talking about those core drivers. Um, That's coming up in February and March, so you can check that out on uh, themojomaster.com.au. You can check out my Facebook as well, which is the Mojo Master Coach on Facebook. And if you've got any questions or you want to send me death threats or hate mail, then that's a place to go as well. Um, So if you privately message me, I'll get back to you on that as well. So um, I I, I love hearing from people. If anyone's listening to this um, and you love some of the stuff that I've spoken about, um, please send me a a message on Facebook as well and, and just let me know. I'd appreciate that. So the Mojo Master Coach on Facebook. All right.
1: Michael Johnson. Thank you so much for sharing your tips and ideas and insight on the Property Developer Podcast. I'm very grateful to you.
0: My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope that uh, your listeners got some value out of this. So thanks for having me. All right. See you, Michael. Awesome. Thanks, mate.
1: Okay. There you go. I trust you enjoyed that chat with my mate, the Mojo Master. It certainly helps spark some ideas and thoughts for me. I thought I would just quickly recap what Michael covered. So he said he goes through four steps with people. First, he asks people about their purpose, why they are doing what they're doing, what would they really love to do in life. Second, he then helps people understand their values. You can get clues about your values by the way you live, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, and what you surround yourself with. And then create a list of those core values, as this will help you figure out what's most important to you. Your values will then guide your decision-making. Step 3. He then helps them to create a mission statement. This is where you start defining what your life is all about, what your life is going to look like, and how you're going to do it. Your mission might expand and contract as you go through life. And with that, you can start to think about how your values fit into your mission statement. Finally, you can then start to set your goals. Michael talks about making sure that you set goals that will help you feel fulfilled and avoid goals that are about proving yourself to others as you wanna make sure that what you're doing is going to fulfill your own purpose. Then he likes to break break those goals down into threes. So daily, weekly, monthly and quarterly goals. And remember, if you need accountability, Michael thinks that you're not doing what you love. So just to recap, define your purpose, figure out your values, write your mission statement, and set your goals. Okay, I hope you find that helpful to setting some plans for the year ahead. If you are interested in finding out more about the Mojo Master, then check out his website or attend one of his upcoming events. If you enjoyed that chat about planning, then you might want to go back and take a listen to episode 49 with Dr. John Demartini as we discuss how you can become a billion-dollar property developer. John has really helped me to get where I am today, and he had this advice on how you can grow your developing empire. And people who um, have the patience and keep the qu- liquidity and, and think long term and, and know how to assess risk reward ratios and, and make sure that they, they use their executive center, not their impulse center, they, they can develop
0: slowly but surely a, a very powerful uh, portfolio.
1: There is lots more gold in that conversation, so go back and take a listen to episode 49. All right, that's just about it for this episode. Don't forget to leave a comment on iTunes if you're enjoying the show. And if you are feeling fired up and want to take action on learning how to develop property, then email me, justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com to find out more about the Property Developing Mentoring Program. You can also catch me on Facebook and Instagram for my latest pics, videos and developing news. And for all the past episodes of the show, head over to www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com. So, until next time, may you take the time to plan out your life and live your dreams.
0: You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.